0: Hello everybody, what's up? You're listening to I Was Just Wondering with Me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film, and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's episode is Natalie Sajin, an audiovisual storyteller and the founder of Mentorless.com, a filmmaking blog with educational articles, DIY advice, interviews, and a weekly newsletter we jumped into Natalie's experience as a young French filmmaker in LA that inspired her to start Mentalist.com, how she overcame creative burnout and the joys and challenges of working as a multi-talented storyteller. So if you're running, stuck in a traffic jam or sitting behind a desk at work, hope you enjoy my interview with Natalie. Looking back at your time in LA in the summer of 2011, um, was there a particular moment that stands out to you which made you want to start Mentalist.com?
1: So, actually, I I spent four years in uh, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was there between 2008 until the fall of 2011. And the reason why I started Mentorless was a bad reason, I guess. Um, I discovered No Film School, which right now is a very big website. But Mm -hmm. back then, it was just a a blog uh, by a filmmaker named uh, Ryan Koo. Mm-hmm. And he had just started transitioning from a personal blog to a more professional type of website, where he was posting an article per day. And and this is something I, I understood afterwards, but uh, I just stumbled upon an article on his uh, on his website and got lost in it. And and I saw an article about uh, I think him explaining how to make money uh, with ads on blogs. I'm, I'm not quite sure it was coming from him, but basically what I do remember is that no film school had a big big impact on me. Right. And I was trying to find a way to make money and make a living while staying free and working in a field that uh, was interesting for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had zero knowledge. I didn't know anything about blogging, about making money on the internet. And back then, blogs were still a thing. I mean, today, I think yeah. it's uh, very... it's it, it wouldn't even be an idea for someone to do that because you wouldn't make money with uh, a blog unless... I mean, it's very hard. Yeah. Uh, te- almost 10 years ago, it was still a thing, but I, I cannot even say that I knew that. I didn't know that. It's just that people were talking about it because it was something, so I heard about it. And what happened is that I started the blog. I didn't really... So through what I was going to do with it, yeah. very quickly I understood that uh, I was not going to make money with it, because what I had to do to make money out of this blog meant basically, well, like pretty much everything in life, when you want to make money, you need to please other people. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I decided pretty quickly that I was not going to start writing content for people to click on it. Mm-hmm. And mentorless became my, uh, you know, my, my school. This right. is how I, I didn't, I didn't think this was going to be that. And I didn't, I didn't know I was doing that with this blog. But what happened is that I left Elish a few months after I, I started this blog. Yeah. And this was my way of staying connected with the American industry for filmmaking, the filmmaking industry in general. And when my kind of, When my curiosity broadened and I started being more interested about the art of storytelling and creativity in general, it also allowed me to keep on educating myself and use this knowledge to share it with others Mm -hmm. and meet new people. Because Mentorless became this way for me to connect with people all over
0: the world. What I'm sort of interested about is and I think maybe this is kind of like an old idea that the fact that you reach a certain point and then you must go to LA because LA is this sort of like hub, this sort of like nexus of creativity that's going to take you to the next level and I just wonder about your time, you spent four years there, that's a substantial amount of time. Thinking about it, I mean, um, what 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 was your sort of like overall sort of like experience and what was your original sort of intention of going out there and what kind of, what did you kind of hope was going to perhaps um, happen for you over there?
1: Yes, so it's funny because I think it's going to be the answer of many things in my life. Is that I didn't. What happened in reality was not what I was not the consequences of the actions I took. I mean, I don't know. Basically, what I want, what I'm trying to say, that mm. when I decided to go to LA, I didn't decide. I didn't decide to go to LA. I decided to go to America. Right. I knew I wanted to go to America, and. Um, I knew I wanted to try, uh, I knew I wanted to be a full-time filmmaker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted to go to the States because it was this dream of mine to study in America, but I didn't have the money to right. do a, ba- a master and or a bachelor. I mean, whatever, whatever level of studies, I just didn't have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to be on the West Coast because of a very stupid reason, which was Son, (laughs) Son. So I was very poorly informed because I was self-taught in filmmaking back in France. It was before YouTube, it was before Wikipedia, I think. I mean, the internet was just a different thing. Hmm. So you just knew whatever your surrounding knew, kind of. And nobody in my family had been there. I mean, nobody was in the filmmaking business. And I ended up in Los Angeles because they had this opportunity for foreign... Students to take night classes at uh, an affordable price, right? And that was the only thing I could afford. So I ended up in LA Not Even really understanding that that was the best town I could have been
0: all oh, right. I say okay, so that was
1: yeah That, that was my luck, but then uh, what happened for me? I mean basically right now I would say that I wouldn't advise someone who is just starting to go to LA because I don't think LA is a very creative ta- town. Mm-hmm. I think it's a town f- uh, full full of opportunities for people who have access to work opportunities. Right. That's a town where there's a lot of jobs, and you can have a lot of meetings, but if you're very green and you're just a beginner, um, LA, I believe, can really kill one's creativity, because the competition is extremely high, even mm-hmm. at the entry level of anything, And people are not that genuine at the end of the day. But also, uh, that was nine years ago, maybe things have changed a lot, I don't know. But when I came out of LA, for instance, I was in complete creative burnout because there's a bit of a lack of diversity in terms of uh, mindsets. Everybody's kind of, is, is running behind the same dream and obsessed with the same thing. And I think that is the worst thing that can happen to someone who is trying to um be creative. And yeah. that being said, at the same time, I mean, I wouldn't trade my four years in L.A. for anything. I'm very happy. So, you know, like my advice means nothing at the end of the day. If you need to go, just go. But yeah. it's just that, you know, it's like I I did go there when I decided to commit fully to become a filmmaker, and I ended up in a burnout, and realizing that I didn't want, I wasn't willing to pay any price to become a filmmaker, which was, I think, a very important lesson, because it made me realize that, yes, I am a filmmaker, and I want to direct and write some projects, but I don't care being a filmmaker if being a filmmaker means shooting corporate videos, to me, uh, this right. is not the type of filmmaker I want to be. So this is these are some of the things that I learned in LA, in LA because the title means nothing. What what is meaningful is what you're doing daily in yeah. your you know. So this is one of the stuff I learned in LA. The title is meaningless. Sorry, it's uh, you know, it, it you don't know you don't know what's behind the, the. When someone tells you I'm a filmmaker, what does that mean? What is your day like? Are you stressed? Are you happy? How much do you make and does it matter? You know, so this yeah. type of
0: stuff. Well, that's interesting. It's one of the things I kind of th- think about in terms of, because I was kind of encouraged at a certain point in my career, like you have to go to LA, you will make these like, contacts and all this thing. And I guess like, that's fine as you're saying, if you've got access to proper sort of work opportunities and, and contacts over there, but just to simply go over there and try and hustle your way to something, I think is a very, very hard proposition also a debilitating one. And I think it's also one now with with the internet, with platforms like Vimeo and YouTube, that you can essentially be a filmmaker anywhere in the world. And if someone sees your work in a particular position of power or whatever, that way you can kind of grow yourself into an opportunity to where if you finally um, wash up on those shores, that you'll have a much better chance of navigating through that rather than just going, like cold, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, and I, I do think that if like I do think that if you make something that fits whatever the L.A. St- standard is at the, this particular time, they will bring you a I mean you will get access. Mm-hmm. People will find you. there are dedicated interns every day scanning the internet to find the next whatever and um, and if you do something very smart and very um, you know, whatever it is, a short film, a a music video, and and you can, you know, you can find access, and this is a goal of yours, the door will open. And I do also believe that once you start working, LA, whether you want it or not, ends up being the place to be Mm -hmm. at some point in your career. But... Like, I mean, financially, financially, LA is much more expensive now. Ten years ago, there was still a big gap between LA and New York. Now I think the gap is less interesting if you don't have a lot of money. But I think today, New York is also very, very tough. But I think maybe in terms of creativity... And I'm not talking about filmmaking right now, I'm just talking about juice and creativity yeah. and being in a laboratory of people being, uh, you know, surprising. Or maybe even Austin, I don't know, if yeah. I had to pick a, yeah, yeah. a middle, you know, if we're going to stick with America, let's say, because no, yeah. none of us is from there. But, um, you know, I, I think L.A. is a, its a very tough city. It's very weird. The culture there. Uh, I, it was a, a real cultural shock for me to go to LA right. even though I had been to New York several times and I, I was fed with American TV shows and movies and I thought I knew America it was a very big shock but again with the internet in the last 10 years maybe the shock is would be less intense I don't know
0: I just wanted to just dive into Mentalist's message correct me please correct me if I get this wrong so the message is about um, a mentee who sees a mentor in everything and everyone, and you have a weekly newsletter which you create links to interviews, making of tutorials, and so much more content, which has over 12,000 subscribers. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on being sort of self taught versus a more formal education pathway in 2019.
1: So, yes, this is exactly what Mentorless is about. It was born. At some point, when I speak the title, it was born at the, about the idea of me being frustrating, or not having mentors, which is something that I've always wanted to have right. watching movies and you know, this type of, of stuff. And then realizing that the world is your mentor and whoever you want is your mentor and with internet, literally anyone and anything can become a mentor, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Mm. For the formal i I believe in continuing ed- education whether whatever your age and whether you've been in a great school or you know no school, I think there is absolutely no excuse not to educate oneself daily right. on whatever you know it's, um in France at least this is something very this is not the way we are educated. we're educated thinking that. You go to school because you have something to learn and then Mm -hmm. you become an adult and you work and you don't have anything to learn anymore because you've learned whatever you needed to work. And for me, it was really a process to understand that as a human and as a creative human, but I think both are the same thing at the end of the day, it's a duty to uh, admit that there's a million things we don't know and even the things we know might change over time. I mean. Formal education, I wouldn't know about it because it depends. You know how it depends of how what access you have, right. what country you're from, what are the opportunities. There's too many uh, data to take into account mm-hmm. that I, I think it would be too hard to say you should or you should not. But education at large, right. uh, I do believe, it should be something mandatory for everybody on a daily basis. We should all have a pocket of time daily dedicated to the art of learning and discovering what we don't know or questioning what we thought we knew.
0: Just sort of touching that, I think in terms of a formal educational pathway and when I've spoken to people who have done MFAs at UCLA and other things, what it seems to me, the thing they get away from it's not necessarily like the instruction from the teachers. It's more like the community and I don't know, the quote, unquote yes. hardship, if you can call it that, of the creative the process. And then, you know, sort of figuring that sort of side out in terms of the business side of things, which tends to be the, it's a thing that you can't really teach, but it's the thing that is basically sort of like essential. Once you sort of like leave, is more a, a how you arrange your career in terms of sort of business and an opportunity. Um, is the one thing that I guess like education can't give you, you um, know, in a, in a way because obviously you're working in a in a vacuum. But I guess it's that sense of um, community. But then again, I always I always go to the fact well. You, I mean, you've got, um, as I sort of mentioned before, you've got over sort of twelve thousand subscribers for your newsletter. You have a community, and those people can sort of interact. So it's not like there's sort of like a vacuum. That you can find a community pretty much anywhere. I guess it's whether you can interact in IRL with them. I guess is the sort of differentiate between those two two things.
1: Yeah, and I mean, do I agree. Definitely the difference between uh, someone going to USC and someone not going to a university or UCLA or, you know, New York, uh, Columbia or whatever
2: mm-hmm.
1: is uh, it's more even than the community. I think we should just say the network, right. uh, the network opportunities the, and these because at the end of the day, our jobs are not jobs that required any diploma mm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there it's just not, there's only diplomas because there's competition. Right.
2: Um,
1: it's not medicine. We're not learning how, where is the, you know, where is the heart and where are the lungs. Yeah. So. Um, but the thing is that one of the things you need is the network. You need the person who is going to ring you to say, "Hey, we are shooting, do you want to come around mm. and uh, And this is something that is extremely hard to have, and this is where uh, things can get unfair right. either because you, you don't have you come from a uh, you know the social your social background is going to play, but also the n- the network from your parents and from your family and whatever, and then also your personality. Hmm. And I think that uh, when you get to a school, if you're an introvert, um, at least you have access to these people. Uh, you don't, you have to less, to make less effort. Right. If you don't go to one of these people, but you are a very extrovert and you can go and hang out in part, I mean, it's, it just, these, these things are so, um, they seem unimportant and they're going to make all the difference. Right. And even more even more in our uh, work line, and I say our work line here, I'm just talking about the filmmaking aspect of my life, but when you're really going to be spending, uh, you know, everybody says it and that's for a reason, you don't want to be around people you don't appreciate when you're going to spend weeks and months working on a project. Yeah. It's just something you don't want to do. So the problem is that you not only need to be talented, and, but you, you also need people to like you. Mm-hmm. And this is like this, um, this is a reality, mm. unless you're a screenwriter, of course, and you just wanted to write screenplays. But yeah. uh, for the online community, online community is great. It's uh, it's great to exchange, and it's great to. I mean, it's a very important support, even though you cannot uh, see these people. But I have to say that uh, there are several instances where I've met some of the people from the online community right. and I've developed friendships with some readers that became friends. Okay. Some people hosted me, you know. So this is, this is real as well. Like, you can really uh, – and for my sh- last short film, at the last minute last year, I shot a, I shot a short film in Turkey a month before shooting there was a financial crisis in turkey so all wow. our uh, budgets uh, became like worth nothing right and so at okay. the last minute i made a, a little crowdfunding on on my homepage not even on kickstarter or whatever and the people from the newsletter gave me you know almost 5000 euros wow uh, this is amazing like yeah. this is a really um this is real like it's re- it, it 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 seems stupid to say that the people looks like number, but they are real people behind the numbers yeah so but I think both are very important and um especially for some jobs like actors and actresses today, I think is it's probably the 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 field in our work that has changed the most because. I mean, I find it so crazy how much time we're spending on Instagram right now to cast actors and actresses, right. actors and actresses. And I find it very, I don't, I think a lot of actors and actresses don't appreciate it yet, mm-hmm. but they're, unfortunately for them, their social media account matters a lot for right. them to get job. Uh, so, you know, in, like now both words are equally important and it depends just what you're doing and, and where you're heading.
0: So, I just want to touch quickly upon, um, in your last newsletter that you wrote a thing about networking and you sort of referenced the defiant ones in Jimmy Iveen and the fact that he mm-hmm. every week would play sort of touch football. Um, for people who haven't read the article, just maybe sort of take us through that and what your thoughts and feelings are about that. And also how you, how, I mean, you've spoken about it sort of briefly, but how you found sort of navigating networking and also briefly networking as a female filmmaker and obviously i don't like i don't like putting the gender in front of it but i realized that from the female female because i have spoken to that their experience of navigating the film industry is is different from for men for a variety of, sort of different reasons and i just wondered if you maybe could sort of like speak on that a little bit
1: yes so basically my the last newsletter uh, which was two weeks ago because i didn't send one this week which happens very rarely but it happened I was I was uh I was just connecting some dots about the fact what I noticed is that there is this tradition and um I think it's gender based but not because uh, men are evil or whatever it's just because of the history and women for many many centuries spent more time inside houses than in public spaces mm-hmm. and it's like men are more into the habit of creating these events Right. Where they gather between themselves and create bonding and emotional bonding and shared memories over whatever it is it can be just playing a football game or uh, watching something or just going to a bar etc cetera, etc cetera. and this is a very powerful way of it 's an unofficial way of networking, and I was taking as an example this um, Uh, The producer Jimmy Iovine, who who was uh, doing a football game every Sunday at his place, mixing all his network and creating some uh, explosive relationship and connections, and other examples. And um, I think this is not something we are. We I think this is something new generation of women are going to learn doing because I, I know it sounds weird, but at the end of the day it's just three generations ago women couldn't have the right to vote or to have a bank account so certainly they couldn't build a career and network uh, you know yeah. female were networking but it was just not for the same purpose and now we have the same um, uh, possibilities but first we need to deconstruct and understand that we have these possibilities and then act upon them So, you know, I I think that uh, just being a woman in general is different than being a man. And and it's totally fine. And I think it's very interesting. I think I am very happy to be a woman today. I think 50 years ago, I would have been very miserable.
2: Mm. But
1: I am, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for being um, my age today. And for all the women who did the hard work, and I feel I'm, I am part of a, a moment in time that is very interesting. And I hope that we are going to manage to keep on moving and make something uh, interesting for men as well, because I think there is a big revolution that needs to happen for a better life for everybody. But yeah. when it comes to networking, for when it comes to, you know, I, I do believe that I am one of these weird people that, who think that men and women are equal because we are you know, just human beings. That's what we are at the yeah. end of the day. We are no different. But I also acknowledge that uh, we are very different in many other ways. Some because of our culture and education, some yeah. because of our physical hormones and whatever. And the thing is that I think there is a type of networking that is easier when you're with your own gender yeah and yeah. so i'm not, not seeing basically with my newsletter uh probably i didn't clarify that point but in my head um, i was not saying oh look how unfair it is because men are not inviting women into this stuff because i don't think these events would have worked if there were anything else but men mm-hmm. and i do think that we need to learn to create events where Uh, There's no men and it's fine. Uh, It's just because sometimes when you're with your own group, you can be the way you cannot be when you're not with your own group and that's okay. I don't know. Maybe this is very politically incorrect what I'm saying. I'm not sure. But um, this is my experience is that we should be cool by mixing everybody and we should be okay with sometimes just guys hanging, uh, hanging between guys and girls hanging between girls and... In both cases, great things can happen. It's just that we need, as women, to learn to do that, mm. to uh, um, to be creative. We need to be more creative about how we mix up uh, events and network, and that's that's that.
0: No, I don't think it. I don't think it's politically incorrect to say that there are points of reference, either sort of like culturally, um, physically, like emotionally, that the sort of separate genders are going to just respond to. Because, I guess. I know generally speaking and also if you've got people from the same similar sort of social setting or sort of demographic again like they're going to be there's going to be certain sort of like cultural emotional and physical touchstones that you can form bond and relate and and talk about that simply you know between the two genders that perhaps are just not going to have a particular understanding of that and I think that's totally fine I think Great, great differences is, is amazing having just groups of, sort of singular people and just sort of talking and discussing and also the idea through that as a sense of sort of self discovery, but I guess that the danger is and I think what people maybe be upset them is the fact that if it's just one or the other, not that you can have these yeah. multitudes of different right. experiences that that basically will feed and inform and actually make um, the community in itself a more richer experience.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think that the bottom line is, for me at least, the bottom line is that we should just embrace diversity in all its senses and, and, um, and uh, you know, appreciate the fact that differences can bring quality and interest and creativity. And after that, I, as you said, I mean, I don't think the answer is everybody being the same, behaving the same and being controlled. I think we should let ourselves be free and but just be okay with the fact that there are other people who are different mm. and that they have their space to to express themselves.
0: So just sort of, sort of leading on from that, what do you feel is like the fundamental purpose of using narrative or filmmaking or art, um, literature, to communicate with people, um, in your opinion?
1: I mean, it's funny because to me, to me, I don't see the point if this doesn't exist.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: like, um, I I grew up, I grew up, Reading books, because this is what I had. And to me, books, music, films, like fiction, narrative, narrative films, they all they are all the same thing. They are stories. Mm-hmm. And these are just stories expressed differently. What I know, me personally, I, I come from a small town in France. I was uh, born before the internet. I mean, before the internet became popular in houses, let's say. Right. And so my universe was what I could see until stories and fictions, which entered before books, entered with my parents telling stories and everything. My universe expanded each time I experienced the story. And I learned how to have empathy, I learned how to, um, you know, understand emotions, situations. I discovered cultures, I discovered, you know, I, I don't think that if if my life was just based on what I have actually lived, mm-hmm. I would know so little. And, and actually, you know, a lot of people are, are saying that everything is a story. I mean, it doesn't have to be a fiction to be a story. Whatever I'm living, if we were sitting side by side and looking at the same thing, we wouldn't see or feel or... Uh, the, tell the story of what we've seen or feel the same way yeah. so there is I personally uh, belong now to this uh, group of people who believe that you know there is a kaleidoscope of experiences and yeah. everything is a story so that's why to me stories are are are, are gentle ways of expanding the human brain and mm-hmm. the human heart and helping us not fall into the trap of thinking that uh, you know, the universe is our tiny little reality that we can, we can experience with our uh, five senses at that uh, moment. Yeah. And I, I think it's just, uh, you know, who, who hasn't in their whole life, who has not dreamt through a story? You know, I, I don't even understand who would be the human being who would say, no, no story. Yeah. Well, you know, what's the point? I mean, uh, it would be basically, be, and we don't even know if animals don't dream, actually. So, you know, I wouldn't, I shouldn't probably make this assumption. But what's a life without stories? What would no. we be doing? Seriously, why would you build? And, and I'm sorry, but I'm just going to go even one step further is that. The first uh, house or the first key that someone created was yeah. first a story in their head. Right. They had to imagine this key and imagine uh, it would be so cool if I could close this thing so my neighbors wouldn't steal it from me. And then he had or she had to go through this crazy story to come up with a key. Right. So yeah. I, I think the the world is evolving because we have this capacity of imagining and then using whatever we imagine in our head and conveying to others and it works sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work but what is even more interesting is that even if the attempt even if you try to tell a story and you you decide you failed and you couldn't transmit whatever you were trying to transmit yeah what's very interesting is that you cannot control how human receive it and your failed story might ignite something crazy afterwards and this is the beauty of of us because we are crazy people so i don't know yeah so for me there is no uh the question of why would someone try to make a living making stories is another (laughs) but uh you know i don't I, i don't think you could erase story from humankind
0: well that's sort of a nice segue into your um tedx talk which i watched on youtube with because um, it was in French and then they had like the subtitling so I'm not sure if the subtitling was like 100% correct but what mm-hmm. really struck me about the opening of that particular talk that you gave and it's something that I've experienced a lot in my sort of creative and sort of professional career because when you say oh um, I you know I, I've, I write I've, I've made short films and stuff and then people get very very excited as you sort of say and and then they go, oh, well, where can I watch your work? And then, can I go see at the cinema? Is so-and-so in this? And, and then, as you sort of, like, um, talk about in the um, in the text talk, that look of sort of, like, when reality meets expectation of when you start to go through, and then that the inherent sort of, which you spoke about, that there's sort of, like, disappointment on your behalf when you don't feel any. And I just wondered if you could just maybe talk a little bit more about that and that idea of sort of readjusting sort of reality and meets expectation for people.
1: I think that nowadays, especially we live in a very harsh time because, because we, we associate success with purpose and meaningfulness. Uh, if like it's very hard today to sustain the idea uh, that whatever you're doing, has a reason to be and is uh, worth doing mm. if you don't have recognition at a very and it's not even just recognition nowadays it's like recognition at a crazy global scale yeah. like if you don't have this we are basically in our head i really feel that if someone is not telling you i'm working at google or, you know, whether you like Google or not, this is the craziest part, is that, yeah. you know, I'm working at Tesla, or uh, I, I made a movie and it got one million views. Like, anything yeah. under might do something for you, but anything under 10,000 views will certainly not do anything for you. And, um, and it's just crazy. It's just crazy how the expectations from people and the expectations we have... We put on ourselves have shifted in a very silent and unspoken way. I, I don't think nobody yeah. said it to anyone, but it just became this rule that as an artist, and I'm, you don't see me, but I'm put, putting brackets. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's because I don't think because we are not artists. I just think because nobody knows what being an artist means anymore. Uh, and I think an artist is someone who creates whatever they have to create, whether society finds it relevant or not, as mm. a matter. <laughs> you yeah. know. And the, the reality is that in people's mind, an artist is someone who makes a living out of their art and is recognized by society, which is very different. Filmmaking is a very is one of those very like any artistic field, but one of the hard things with filmmaking is because it's a collaborative art you know it's so hard to create a film and it takes so much time and it, it takes so much money and the exp and the and at the same time it's one of the best known industry yeah uh, people are generally very not very much educated about the painting industry or you know the art gallery industry or yeah. whatever but uh, filmmaking everybody knows kind of that having a a known actor is better than having a non-unknown actor and being played in cinema is better than not being played in cinema and winning festivals is better than not winning festivals. Yeah. So, so people have these kind of questions to understand if you made it and if they understand you have not made it in the uh, mainstream way. There is this idea that your work is not worth it. I do think that it's a, it's a great challenge as a human being. I personally think that the only way to survive this violence, because yeah. it is very violent, is to understand why we do what we do, you know, and enjoy the process of whatever project we're doing and make sure that through this project we grow. Yeah. Because uh, the thing is that we, the, the probability of making a good film, A, and be making a good film that works yeah. is so low, and then repeating this, which is you know almost impossible, yeah. and um, making a living out of it, you know, if you, it's it's just very the, the the probability is so low that if that's your aim to be happy, or it's going to be impossible.
0: And also I think in terms of like the scrutiny, so say if you're in any other sort of like profession, say if you've met somebody at a party and you say, what do you do? And they go, I install air conditioning units you don't demand that you go and see that person's air conditioning unit or the work that they've done. It's just a sort of nod and like, oh, that's great, you move on. And I think the thing about, especially with film, is that it's a medium that's supposed to be seen. And the fact that that person you're talking to hasn't seen it, then therefore it's considered not to be sort of like successful. But anybody who knows, the, um, who's ever sort of made a film or engaged with writing something, that in terms of like the end product, and it's a weird thing to sort of say, that really... Really has very little to do with you in a way, in your sort of like creative process, and in terms of what ends up physically being out there, may not is not as maybe could be the least important part of the creative process because you could have you know learned exponentially more about your craft you as an individual, um, and it could benefit you in ways than just the sort of like physical that just sort of physical product um, that you've kind of made because you may get more opportunities from that. But it's a weird, it's it's and also the only time that people engage with filmmaking or with um, the sort of visual arts is at the very like 1%. You're seeing the best of the best, but I've spoken about another podcast, which sort of like normalizes the experience in the sense that um, one of the sort of um, analogies I kind of use is when we run um, in our minds, maybe we run like, you know, we think we run like Usain Bolt, but most of us, (laughs) Sort of sweating and sort of like puffing, and that's the re- that's the sort of real world of it um, experience in in terms of that's really kind of what it's like.
1: At the end of the day, I don't know why so many people want to make film. Mm,
2: okay. yeah. <laughs> it's,
1: um, I mean, when you think about it, it's it's weird uh, because do you see uh, do you, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I'm just I'm just not going to add anything to what you just said because I said I think you 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 said it all, and I don't have uh, okay. anything painful to add to that.
0: Sorry, um, that's fine. No, that's um, yeah. So just um, moving on. Um, in terms of sort of that like creative process, and you did talk about it briefly in the opening about feeling creatively sort of burnt out. I mean, what were the kind of signs and symptoms for you, and um, that led up to your inability to cre- um, your inability to be able to create and and how did you find your creative energy again?
1: It's funny because when I, when I diagnosed myself with a creative burnout, I don't think I used those words because they were not as popular back then. Mm-hmm. Now it's, bec- it's become almost like a, something you have to go through, I feel. Right. Uh, but I understood I was in a burnout very easily. I mean, very easily. I realized that I didn't know anymore why I wanted to make films. And I didn't know I didn't have any idea what I wanted to talk about. I didn't have the, the juice, nothing was exciting me, and uh-huh. it's not only that nothing was exciting me, that I had this wrong um, grid of criteria to think about a project. Like, I was because I was coming from LA, I had been brainwashed into, I mean, It was not LA's fault, fault, but that's what I made with my time in LA. Hmm. I was brainwashed with the idea of write a low-budget feature film that you can shoot very quickly with little money. That is uh, like an adaptation of your short film that got into festivals. So you can maybe get an agent or a manager. I mean, just the recipe. The thing is that, and this is a, this is one of the problems when you're trying to make a career out of something that is volatile and that depends on so many things, including your personal growth, unless you decide to make it a recipe. And this is, a, you know, some people manage to enter the, this, this branch, but me, it cost me my creativity. When I try to force my creativity into a recipe to follow a career and, you know, it just... It just it just went away and the yeah. thing is that i didn't know what i was uh, how i was going to i didn't have a plan a plan to recover my creativity but it, it happened naturally because i don't know why but basically the way i did it and this is very specific and this is something i encourage Everybody to do, and that I have I've actually even created creative programs uh, following this uh, this idea of the challenge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What happened is that first I started by uh, deciding to draw something on a post-it every day.
2: Right.
1: It was it was not so I will recover my creativity. It was just you know oh, just draw something every day on your on a post-it and share it. The sharing part is very important as well. And then because I had been drawing every day. There was this new app that came out that was named Tapestry, it doesn't exist anymore, where you could mix writing and drawing. And basically, for me, it felt like this possibility of making a film, just not like basically a storyboard, let's say, like yeah. the equivalent of a film, no jet, just my, my pencil, my imagination, text, and drawings. So I, I made a lot of those. And because I had made a lot of those, then I, I made a graphic novel. And because I had made a graphic novel, and uh, so basically what happened is that stairs. I didn't know it, but I was climbing stairs. So each little step was allowing me to take on a bigger project, mm-hmm. and until one day, you know, I was just back into my creativity. I was stronger. I had learned other stuff because I ended up developing drawing as a skill to tell stories. Right because i was in a creative burnout and you know you can of course you can do a movie per day but when you're in a creative burnout making movies is very taxing <laughs> and um, and then there's you know every day every year there's a lot of uh, creative challenges on a global scale if you don't want to do it alone i did a lot of 100 days challenge right. one year so it's for 100 days in a row you do something one year i did a 100 days video I think a great way, if you feel in a burnout, uh, you know, telling it to yourself is very important. Yeah. Uh, admitting the fact that you don't feel creative even though your creativity is supposed to feed you, I think mm-hmm. it's very important to admit it. And then taking baby steps, following your curiosity, uh, even though it doesn't have anything to do with uh, your work, and or your main field, yeah. And even though you don't, um, I think also a very important element is to stop trying to monetize or give a purpose to everything we do. Creating for the sake of creating is one of the reasons we stay creative. And one and many people I've met that are in creative burnout, and there are many people in creative burnout. Yeah. Most of the time is because of the money factor, right. because they stop allowing themselves to take risks. Everything needs to have a purpose. Mm. Everything needs to be justified.
0: If you only solely create something, the fact that you put a monetary value on what you create or in the hope of getting some sort of remuneration for your creativity um, on that particular project or whatever you're working on can be very, I guess it can be very stifling. and, And it's also the thing that I was just thinking about it today. It's more like a creative... Investment that you would be, if you were so sort of financially investing in something and it went up by like a thousand percent in a year, people would be very, very suspicious of that. There'd be some sort of like con. Whereas, if you would take the long view of actually what happens with the sort of regular sort of investment, you get. Two or 3% a year, and it sort of slowly matures and builds up. And by the end of it, you've got something, a foundation or something, you know, a body of work that represents something can feel a lot more sort of like satisfying. And in the long run, probably is going to be the thing that's actually going to maybe get attention or perhaps make you money in the long run. I guess there's a lot of sort of short-termism, I I think, in terms of each project in a way is like this sort of like lottery ticket, and it's going to, you know, I guess like get access or get you lots of money and stuff. And that can be very, yeah, as I say, can be very sort of debilitating.
1: One of the very tricky thing is that we are really um, hardwired right now to expect benefits of mm. anything we do. And creativity, You know, it's, it's very frustrating to me that to, when I try to explain to people without giving them the success story that will justify the investment. Mm. And we, we are having a hard time to take a leap of faith and understanding that Yes, creativity is is like a muscle. You know, this is something I've always said and and, and, and many people are saying it right now, like creativity is a muscle. If you don't use it, it atrophies. If you overuse it, you know, it inflames. And and it's just like this is something you need to use on a regular basis and stretch, uh, you uh, uh, you know, do all these different type of exercises. But the difference between creativity and a real muscle is the fact that sometimes you don't see the result, because you will only understand the result once it's behind you yeah it's the, the thing with creativity is that you can only look back to understand what happened yeah you don't have you cannot look at yourself in the mirror and say i am creative right now like it's just once you've done it that you know it happened and yeah. you can connect the dots so it's this weird dance between and also like for instance to continue the story with my drawing uh, stuff is that now I am I did an exhibition I I printed some of I made two graphic novels that I'm selling ironically of course the drawings that started as a way of of nothing I didn't yeah. even think about it as a way of reconnecting with my creativity but the drawings that were just a genuine activity are now become of my way of making a living Right But I don't like to say it because then people are, are thinking I'm going to start drawing every day to right. make a living you yeah. know it's it doesn't work
0: like that i had somebody reached out to me on on linkedin and he'd found my profile and he was saying he, one of the questions he was sort of asked me is like oh i write sort of film reviews and i've done guest posts and stuff you know how do i make money from this and i haven't written a response but I'm, i was just going through my mind of like what's the best sort of like piece of advice to give someone because i think he's still fairly early on in his career and i guess like it's and this is a bit sort of tangential, but I was listening to another interview with a very famous American, well, he's a Canadian producer. And he said that he put in eight years of work, absolutely free, but working with very high level sort of like rap artists, but he never got paid. But in a sense, he was saying, well, I'm creating the opportunity and putting the investment in. And luckily it worked for him. I mean, that's a sort of success, success story on that. But I think if your aim is to make money and it's probably like more realistic, it's like don't let, I wouldn't say the money should be your goal or like, or as we were sort of talking about, let that be the thing that sort of validates you and lets you know that you've been successful. The fact that you've written maybe like, I don't know, like 100 reviews, you know, and you've enjoyed writing every single one, that's got to be the the mark of success that you've communicated rather than somebody going, well, here's some money and this means something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that... uh... Living, living a life led by your creativity, I'm not even going to say uh, making a career as a filmmaker, I'm just going to say living a life mm. led by your creativity is a lifestyle. Mm. And it's not the lifestyle that most people uh, want,
2: mm.
1: and it's not the lifestyle that most people uh, are willing to embrace. Because the truth is that I, I personally, I don't know I, almost, I don't think I know anyone around me who is making money through what they really want to make money from mm-hmm. as creatives. And most of the time, either they're making good money and living the life they were expecting being miserable, because yeah. this takes time, or they're not having the life they were expecting to have at our age, but they have their freedom and creativity. Like.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we, we watch, uh, you know, for one Phoebe Waller bridge, which is like the story everybody w- would love to be, Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, she is great for her, really great for her. And I, I love her. I think she's brilliant and I, I cannot thank her enough for Fleabag and killing Eve. But the thing is that, A, I know that she was, uh, supported by a loving family, which is more than most people can have. Mm-hmm, and yeah. B, for one of her who managed to survive through all the obstacles, yeah. there's thousands who either gave up uh, by changing careers or by not, um, I don't want to say selling out, but basically making money, not doing what they want to do, but yeah. still in our feet. Yeah. And the thing is that for I don't make a lot of money and there are a lot of moments where I work for a fraction of what I should have mm. based on my expertise and my skills or I make good money doing something stupid and this is and this is a reality and yeah. I think that people who try to create stability in the world of creativity are bound to be disappointed.
0: So one of the, my earliest memories of Mentalist.com and and you was the vlogs you did on your feature film project in five years. Mm-hmm. I just rewatched the uh, just rewatched the um, first episode you posted back in December two thousand fifteen, um, wow. which was uh, which was totaled fifty two weeks to make a feature. And you spoke yeah. about four obstacles, which were being an unknown filmmaker, being a foreign filmmaker, being a female filmmaker, and being an indie filmmaker. So I just want to jump forward to oh uh, well we're not in August anymore. Uh, well, we're just about in August when it comes out probably in September what's the journey (laughs) been like so far in getting in five years made and have those obstacles sort of changed or have they disappeared
1: first i'm happy to know that you saw it because there's not many of you who have seen it and and again you you think that uh, i don't know maybe one thousand people saw this uh, first video i have no idea and still here we are talking which means that small actions can have unpredictable results so the project is in a drawer right now it's interesting because within five years, when we decided to to do it, to try to yeah. do it with uh, my then producer, who is no longer my produ- my producer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we had this. Uh, we were we were very naive, despite the fact that we shouldn't have been naive. But you're always naive of something. You always have a blind spot, and when you learn about it, you're like, ah, I wish I had new- known. And at the same time, I had to go through that. Yeah. So we 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 didn't. Um, I mean, it would be very long to explain everything that happened, but what I can say is that the... Pro- so I'm no longer doing this feature film. Okay. And I, I, I have outgrown the story, which is funny. And um, and I'm currently writing another feature film in French this time with uh, a co-writer. Okay. But what, what was very interesting with this process is that even though I did not make the feature film, because we couldn't raise the money, right. that was... Uh, so. Let's say one of the reasons was by, while trying to raise the money, we ended up being, um, you know, we, we, we were selected into several pitching platforms. We were selected into a program during all of uh, 2017 that was very enlightening where we yes. met dozens of producers and screenwriters. And it was like a master class for producers. And as a screenwriter, I got to go there. So it was very interesting. So I learned a ton of stuff. The thing is that sometimes the more you learn, the less you do. And this right. is a little bit what happened with us, is that the more you know, the more ambitious your brain gets, but the reality not so much.
2: Right.
1: And the, the, script got, the, the script got expanded, it got uh, bigger, and by getting bigger, the, the, the budget multiplied by five. And so normally it's supposed to go the other way around. And so to make this long story shorter, Last year, in January, so two years after you you watched the first vlog, I told myself it's been two years already, I I think this is the last year where I'm going to work on this feature, and then probably we're going to give up on it. So I told myself I need to make a short film. I need to make a short film so I can show the concept of the feature film, and I can have something on my resume, and I can update my resume with something that is relevant to my universe and my sensitivity, and we went on to making this short film that I shot last year and it had many benefits but none of the benefits i expected right because during the short film with the producer we had never worked together before and we realized that we did not work well at all together okay this was very important actually because you want to discover that over 3 days of shooting 2 days of shooting and not over 5 weeks of shooting or 2 weeks of shooting So we we basically realized that our uh, creativity was canceling each other, the way we we were expressing ourselves, expecting uh, things to happen, our work standards, everything was different. We did not want to do this feature film together. And the thing is that um, the feature film was really based in Turkey because I had lived in Turkey for two years. You know, there was no... My life had changed, Turkey changed a lot. There's been a lot of uh, political events that happening there and it didn't seem uh, logical for me to keep trying making a film in Turkey when I was no longer living there and things had changed so much. And But the good thing that happened is that I met two people uh, during this, the shooting of this uh, short film, including the lead actress of the short film, who became key creative collaborators for me this year right. and I, I ended up um getting uh, booked for uh, as a director for uh, to shoot a, a series mm-hmm. thanks to the lead actress right of the short film because she, she loved the fact the way I, I directed uh, her so she gave my name to the studio and they interviewed me and I got the job and you know uh, this was completely unexpected if I had not done the short film I wouldn't have get the job and then uh you know I, now, I'm. this year has been a very different year. Uh, as you might have noticed, I stopped writing blog posts, mm. i changed my newsletter, and those are all related to this new creative chapter of my life that is a consequence of the short film, and the short film is a consequence of the feature film. So, you know, the I think what I'm trying to say is something I deeply believe in, which is motion, being in motion. Right, yeah extremely important because I never get what I think I'm going to get and I never get the results you know I I, I wish and I fantasize for and whatever because we always hope that you know this short film is going to get me to the next step of my career it did, it It really did but just not at all in the ways I was uh, planning it for people who are trying to you know uh, rationalized creative careers are going to be disappointed because you have to pretend you can control stuff, but at the end of the day, you can never control anything. Mm. Results are never what you thought they're going to be, and if you cannot have this flexibility, it's it's torture. Yeah, it's torture. But in my case, in my case, it's uh, bliss. I love it.
0: I think I watched the trailer to the web. Was it the web series that you directed? Was it? I'm probably yes. pronounce it was exactly. It psycho, psycho e or something. I'm um, sorry. Um, just because like web series are are, are more um, they're seemingly a lot more popular. I mean, they've been around for I don't know, I want to say like ten years or something. But they're now more being yeah. u- used as more sort of like vehicles. They seem to they seem to it's less of a they're less of an oddity and more of a pathway to something, and they can get picked up into ma- in, into more sort of mainstream channels. I'm thinking of like things like High Maintenance this is the one that's just sort mm-hmm. of off the top of my head that I can think of. What was it like for you? working on something like that and also in terms of like how many episodes did you kind of shoot and what was it like sort of telling a more longer form episodic narrative uh
1: this experience for instance was amazing and it was funny because i was shooting in france and i knew but i should just say that this was a produced series so it was a, it is a web series because it's on the web but it's right. behind a paywall uh, so, so yeah. you know everybody was paid it was not like a, a short a budget. Uh, I mean, the budget was not big, but you know, it was a official job by a studio produced mm-hmm. and everything. So for this already was nice. But what was really nice is that despite the fact that we were paid, it was a small economy and we had to shoot four episodes of six minutes in uh, four days. Right. So it was, it was a labor intensive. The whole team, I knew nobody. I was, one, I, I was a director and I knew no one and they almost all knew each other because, uh, like in a uh, regular TV shows, um, you know, the crew kind of always work on the same stuff yeah. and the director is one who is changing the most. And everybody was so professional. Everybody was in the, their thirties, late twenties. I was probably the oldest person on this team and I'm 36. Which is, you know, when you're 25, it seems old, but when you're 36, it does not. So um, everybody was extremely professional and extremely passionate, as if they had never gone through the years of uh, bumps, which Mm -hmm. I love. I love people who are like that. I love people who can have um, the... the joy of creating pure, and yet use the years of practice to be extremely good at what they're doing. Mm. And, and and honestly, it was tough. Like, of course, when you watch it, you know, there's million stuff I could have done better, so it was one of those jobs when I felt, yes, of course, if you give me whatever I want, I would have done it differently, but in, under these constraints, it's a solid, and it's not something I say often, it's a, um, it was really a pleasure to work on this and um, but this this was a very um you know it's an exception it's not like high maintenance where they put their own money right and then they got picked up i know I know another filmmaker who who has done a a web series and she's invested her money and and wow. it took her years of her life and then you you need to try to sell it and it's basically like a short film it's just I think the odds are. Maybe a little
0: bit thinner. I just wanted to jump into the OA. Um so for people who haven't seen it, I'll sort mm. of describe it a little bit. Um so it's Netflix. TV series written and produced by bit, uh, Brit Marling. It was a bold and intricate sci-fi based narrative, which was mesmerizing, but sadly it's been canceled by Netflix after two seasons. Um, and you referenced in your um, newsletter that Mar- uh, Marlin's Instagram post, which she spoke about sci-fi being a place where she could wipe the safe clean from typical Hollywood portrayals of women on screen. I just wondered what your thoughts were on the OA and Marling's comments about female characters in film and TV.
1: I, I love uh, Britt Marling's career. I don't know her as a person, but I respect her career. I, I've been following her for a long time. Mm. She started pretty much breaking through when I arrived in L.A. Right. And she has this uh, sci-fi sensitivity, just the same uh, as me. When I started uh, making short films, my short films were always sci-fi, and I didn't have the words to understand why I was doing that because I was not a big sci-fi reader when I was uh, reading books and she put words where you know before me which is basically if you put a woman in the regular world uh her her options are kind of boring especially if you go back in time by 15 years. So it's more interesting to imagine different ways and different words, so you can create different characters. And they don't necessarily need to be women, yeah. but it doesn't have... And, and this is one of the big things with the OA. Um, I started watching it very late, actually. I watched the first season when the second season came out because so many people around me were positive about it. And it was... I couldn't believe it. And actually, I couldn't believe that this TV show got greenlit, and I couldn't believe that uh, they managed to sell these ideas. They, they managed to take so much time because the process there, um, you know, there was a long gap between the first season and the second season because because they are doing everything different. And the thing, and so I'm, I'm not surprised that it got cancelled. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I'm laughing, but it's actually, I was a very sad said in a way that uh, was beautiful because it's rare now to feel this type of emotions for stories because we have so many of them that we can replace them quite easily. Unfortunately, yeah. it's sad to say, uh, but um, it reminded me of the emotional involvement I had when I was younger and I had less to work with in a right. way. Uh, and and. Um, I was very sad when I heard it was cancelled because because I think it's an important TV show. Actually, I, I um, you know I know people who hate it, mm. and I think this is interesting when uh, a TV show uh, a show I shouldn't I shouldn't say TV show is uh, igniting this type of reactions and. Um, if you haven't seen the OA and I encourage you watching it because it's challenging and because it does one of the things that I am starting to see and I'm seeing and I am vibrating about this as well is how do you tell stories nowadays in 2019 how do you tell stories that are not just human centric right how do you tell stories that are not just about Me, tiny human, my emotions, my wants, my desire, my needs. How do you destroy Joseph Campbell's uh, CP? And how do you... You know, we are living in an interesting time where people are becoming obsessed about not changing stories. Mm. They want the same story over and over and over and over again, the same superhero stories and the same. And you would think that uh, we we should be living in this explosion of creativity. And at the end of the day, it's a lot of the same right now. And so when there's a, and I think one of the interesting things about the rise of women storytellers yeah. is that because they have we have not heard their voices. The one who managed to stay connected to their uniqueness brings something different. And Britt Marling is one of them. Phoebe Waller Bridge is one of them. Even though she is human centric in her right. storytelling, the techniques she uses are very uh, uh, refreshing. And uh, Britt Marling is just uh, the only other person I have seen. And I don't know everything out, out there. So if there's anything else, I, I'll be happy to hear about it. Is the movie Ogja. Right. I
2: don't
1: know if you've seen it that I've mentioned many times uh, in my newsletters. It's, uh, it won Cannes. It won something at Cannes in 2016 or 15. It was one of the first film produced by Netflix, the right. original film produced by Netflix. And this is a movie that managed, managed to follow all the storytelling codes of screenwriting first act, second act, third act, the heroes lost everything, it, The whole, everything is in it, yeah. like, but the message of the story and the characters of the story, you've never seen. This is, uh, I think when someone manages to do that, it's it's mind-blowing.
0: So I watched the first season of The I. because I watched um, the sound of my voice, I'd seen a few of, like, Brit Marling's and Another Earth of her, the sort of films that she'd worked on and I remember watching it and thinking like this and especially the ending the first season, I remember watching it and thinking like this is either one of the most poorly like judged things I've ever seen or it's one of the most beautiful imaginative and, and creative things that I've ever seen and I think I had like those two um, reactions to that particular ending just because of what it was sort of, like dealing with and the proliferation of that school shootings at that particular sort of, uh, point um if it's a spoiler I- I'm sorry um, <laughs> but it, I think and I was tra- I was talking to a friend about it actually the other day I said like I like things where you can see somebody really, really being overly ambitious, really swinging for the fences, and maybe it sort of strays to being a bit sort of pretentious, but it's that unbridled creative vision that someone has that they're really, really going for something, um, and they may not... everything may not work. I should just should just say that the ending to the second series is probably the most startling, most original ending of a TV series <laughs> I have ever... I, I have ever seen like it's 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 the kind of ending that lost or any other sort of big tv show or that sopranos could only dream of doing something like that but it also like makes perfect perfect sense that that's how that show would end it's so meta and it's so clever and it almost so puts me in little mind of something that maybe sort of like dan harman would do because he has that sort of like dexterity yeah. of of pop culture and and molding it and yeah, I, I, even now I'm I'm really sort of like sad that they didn't. Even the ending alone should have guaranteed um, a third season. The amount of money that Netflix throws at projects—I mean, the amount of content they make—surely they could give her a bit more money. But my only. Sort of, sort of summing up my thoughts so the only danger I have is that somebody will go like well we're not going to do another TV series but in order to finish that story we'll give you money for a two hour movie and I think that's probably like the worst thing that they could do with that particular story because to my mind it is just purely episodic it's a, it's a novel you can't sum it up in sort of a two hour um, you know more formulaic narrative
1: it's very, it's very frustrating but it's a testament to and um, to me what I love with the OA is that it gives me a glimpse of everything that's possible even mm. though at the same time, it shows that mainstream is will not support. It sh- it's, it's an anomaly, like mm, the fact yeah. that they got funding in the first place is an, an anomaly, and it was giving me hope. This hope has been taken away, but
2: yeah.
1: it doesn't matter. It it, it existed, and there, mm. are, I I am sure there are so many other people who have, uh, you know this imagination this uh, this creativity and who are waiting to get the money and this is what is frustrating i think is is that when you watch whatever you know netflix or amazon or yeah i mean i watch netflix and and uh, i'm very happy with it but there is a moment where you kind of start feeling that it's everybody's telling the story the same way yeah. one of the, one of the things that i like with netflix and it's still very small and I hope it will expand, is that, you know, I watched Dark, the German show. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just feels so good to see other faces, to see other, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very sleek show. Huh? The, the, the image is beautiful. It's not like Germans are uh, being super crazy and innovative in terms of they're, they're completely owning the tools of uh, filmmaking for yeah. this TV show, yeah. but, it's another language, people have other faces, uh, they behave differently, they react differently, and it just feels good. It mm. feels good to to get out, to get away from the American and British uh, monopoly that I love, yeah. but at some point you realize that you start believing that the whole world is like that when yeah. it's really not.
0: So just sort of jumping on that particular point, I mean, what do you think the future of storytelling is? I mean, at the moment, we have things like augmented reality, virtual reality, immersive cinema, social media media streaming platforms and surely more like emerging sort of technologies. Do you think, I think my question is, do you think one day that we'll live in a world where everybody is a storyteller with their own channel?
1: But I think it's almost already the case. It's mm. just that, uh, and I think we are all storytellers with our own channel, every time we open our mouth. mouth. Right. So it's just that, once again, the only difference is, there are two differences. The one who wants to turn this natural thing we're all doing into art form. Right. And I don't think everybody will want to turn their storytelling skills into an art form. But I do think that we almost all have already a channel to express our storytelling skills through our social media. And the other thing is the money. So we we, we consider professional storytellers those who are making a living out of it or say they wanna become professional storytellers. Uh, I think that the future of storytelling is, um, I mean, I, I think, it's, it's it's hard because I, I do really feel everything is stories. So if we are talking about professions, I think, I think it's not a it's not going to be. I think the the careers we've grown up knowing about, like Spielberg and Scorsese, are long gone. Those right. profiles yeah. are not going to happen ever again. There was this little window in time where you could be. Uh, uh, you know, a 20-something guy and we would give you millions and you would make a movie. This is over. Um, There will be always a guy who will receive millions, but, you know, there will be one and before there were five. So it's not going to become a generality. I, I think that if you're not the highest at your own skills like uh, whatever the guy who is doing the choreography for Beyonce and I don't even know if that's the same person renewed every year basically I mm. think that if you're planning to make a career out of storytelling you should see it as a one medium type of yeah. way of expression I don't I don't think that I think careers as just one thing are going to be extremely rare mm. and uh maybe the this one person is going to make just tv shows but even as a human being i think it's interesting to evolve i mean if you see steven soderbergh for instance which i think is one of the last of his kind Mm. even him keeps changing and moving and morphing around the same you know medium and he's playing with the iphone and with the apps and the transmedia so I think there's going to be a lot of careers in storytelling. I think it's going to be extremely complicated to uh, sell one recipe, even more than uh, before. Yeah, and it's it's going to be about each each one of us need to be very creative and very resilient. Mm. If you don't have a good uh, fortune under your butt to rely on, basically. <laughs> 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 but, yeah. Uh, and you know, at the same time, at the same time, I think it's the same for everything. I, I mean, I'm making fun of uh, our field because I think it's a, it's a funny field. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be so confident if I was an employee at any company today. And I think if you're going to live in this world we're living in right now, which is extremely uncertain, mm,
2: we're living yeah. so
1: long, one career is a myth nowadays. I would rather be on the our side, and at least we know from the get-go that it's going to be complicated and uncertain, so yeah. we're not surprised, you know, so that's fine.
0: And just following on from that, I mean, where do you see Mentorless in like the next five years? I mean, do you have any plans to expand your creative courses? And I was just thinking, I mean, probably not, but like seeking maybe funding from a larger sort of media company to sort of grow your brand, but I kind of get the feeling that's not something you might be that interested in.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that's for sure. I want and I don't think it's worth anything to any media company, to be honest. So even if I wanted to, I think I would have to go through a total uh, surgery for my uh, little blog to seduce an investor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I wouldn't. I won't do that. I won't buy fake boobs and fake lips for my my blog. I don't know. To be honest with you, it's, it's uh, once again, you're, you're, you're catching me at a funny time in my life because after seven years of having Mentorless as the core foundation of my um, you know um, uh, schedule, like yeah. every week I was writing between one to three articles per week and was sending the every Sunday. Then in last May, so a few months ago, yeah. I decided to, to stop. I was actually in the middle of a challenge where I was like, I'm going to write an article per day every day for 30 days because I love this platform. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And part of me, part of me wants to keep doing it. And then in the middle of this challenge, I was enjoying it, but I was realizing, you know what? This is something that is not the right thing for you right now. Part yeah. of it because as I said with my short film, I got some creative uh, relationships that developed, and now I am working on big projects,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not necessarily projects that are paying, but big creative projects, and I understood that I can do it all. And It was very mm-hmm. hard for me because I had to make, for the first time in seven years, I, I was at the moment where I had to tell myself, if you want to do these projects, you need to stop the blog for now right and it was also hard to see that it didn't change much as a matter of fact because i already have my newsletter with uh, you know everybody on the newsletter the blog is great but at least right now i don't feel there is an impact on my daily life i miss it i just wish i had three hours more every day so i could work on the blog every day but i don't have them so right now the blog is, is on hold Right. I want to, so every time I read something interesting, I'm like, oh, I, I should write an article, and then I'm like, why? Just don't spend it, like, I, I'm trying to understand that, I, I'm trying to be more mindful and spend my time doing right. it just because it's a habit, if it's, right now, it's just not the thing that I need to do for my choices. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, I love the newsletter. And it's also a funny time because after seven years of sending it on Sunday and having it as my Sunday ritual, I moved it to Monday. Yeah. And since I've been doing it on Monday, it changed everything for me. I've actually skipped twice doing my newsletter. Like I forgot doing it, which is crazy because, like, it's, and this is also something I find, um, I find interesting because. You, I mean, you think something is a habit, and it's so easy to move just a tiny thing and see everything change around you, right. which I find uh, very exciting. Like you just don't know which move is going to create a crazy ripple effect. And right now with the newsletter, I love it. I think it's very important, but I am also in the in. I am in a difficult situation because I've been back in France for two years now, three years. And so I am having a language problem because my newsletter is in English, but I am not working in an English speaking country. Right. And so the network I'm making in France cannot relate to my newsletter. And the people who are relating to my newsletter cannot become network opportunity because I'm not where they are. Yeah. And um, it's weird to, I mean, I, I don't wish I was an English speaker because it's fine, I'm very happy to be French, but it's just that uh, this is one of those weird decisions that I took seven years ago, and now it's becoming the situation where I'm like, should I make two newsletters? Should I drop the English newsletter? But at the same time, I love it so much and um, there are a few thousand people who are reading it, and I know they're enjoying it too, and uh, it's nice. I just think it's nice to put something free in the world and uh, share with the world i think it's very important because the whole operation is just uh, costing me money it's not uh, bringing money right. and um, because I, because i decided not to try to uh, i mean i tried a couple of times realized that uh it was eating my soul and dropped it and then i have creative programs mm-hmm. that i love doing i love creating them i have another creative program that i want to do and I, I, i'm you know, this is something that uh, I think is part of my calling, helping people reconnect with their creativity or nurture their creativity.
2: Yeah.
1: But there's always a but with me, and the but here is that uh, I hate the marketing and the uh, promoting mm. and the selling this. Like money, money is just something that bores me. Is right. Unfortunate in the world we live in, but uh, chasing money and telling people why I deserve them to give me money because I work in a world where people would gladly give hundreds of or thousands of euros uh, on crazy, crazy stuff, yeah. uh, made in very poor conditions. And, you know, it's just like the whole world is a bit too odd for me right now. <sighs> and, yes. and so... It's very painful for me to have to keep on se- uh, justifying why I deserve money. Yeah. So, I don't know. The the, long, the, the answer uh, is I will discover it with you.
0: Something that just came to me before the interview, and it's something that I haven't really talked about too much um, on the podcast so far, but I think it's an important thing to talk about because it's something, it's something that sort of obviously feeds this sort of creative process. I mean, what's your thought on sort of like romantic relationships and creativity. Cause I know for my own for my own sort of like personal life, I feel for me, there's been points in my life where my creative pursuit has has affected, not for the better, my uh my romantic relationships, whether they be big or small. I just wondered obviously not to get too too personal. Um I don't want to be dredging up any um, really horrible memories or anything like that, but I just wondered what you <laughs> how you've kind of balanced the idea of your sort of like private life and like creative life and um, obviously i don't know if you're with somebody at the moment but in terms of with the if you're with a sort of like partner who may or may not be sort of like creative how have you kind of like juggled those two two things because i think my my the question i'm kind of getting to is that it can be a very hard thing to explain or make somebody else Understand that you're in a romantic relationship with your particular desire or passion to um, communicate and how that might override but not necessarily take away from the relationship you're having with them?
1: I think it's, uh, of course, it's a uh, case by case and everybody's different. Me, I. in a relationship it's been four years so it's fine Mm -hmm. I I mean I don't know if it's fine but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) it seems seems to be working yeah yeah. but for many many years before that I was uh, not in I mean I was in a relationship with my work mostly Mm. and um, I think I definitely think that it's a lifestyle to have a creative career and it's very I consider myself lucky. I think you you know you need to have a lot of luck to find someone who understands this and at the same time uh, has their own creative life mm-hmm. on their you know like finding the right person with the right balance uh, without compromising your own efforts is a bit of a lottery ticket. At some point, you need to change the way you work. You need to modify things when you, and make a new person enter your life. Mm. And for me, uh, doing this, it basically made me realize that I was working a lot for not much at some point. And when I say not much is that because I had all this space to uh, indulge myself into my passion, yeah. I was also having a lot of atrophies in my life. I was not a balanced person in terms of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that everybody needs to be balanced. Everybody does whatever they want. But I am much more. I'm um You know, it's this interesting thing that by committing into a serious relationship, I had to make time for this person. So I had mm-hmm. to work differently. So I had to uh, develop better systems, or sacrifice things that I thought were important but were not. Right. Basically, I had to clean up my own house and inside a house. And if you do it. Well, I don't know if well is the right word, but if I think if you do it in a healthy way, your creativity always gets stronger. Right. But, you know, I also am with a partner who uh, is okay with me uh, always traveling, always being on projects, sometimes doing crazy hours, and, uh, you know, all these things are real. Like, I didn't find a recipe for that, and I don't want a recipe for that, otherwise I would be doing another job. But at the same time, there was also, like, you cannot have something... I, I, I do think that we all have a certain amount of space in us, Yeah, and you cannot keep on... Putting more things mm. just, it's just not possible, like mm. you need to take out stuff if you want to bring something new and to me uh, honestly, for a very long time i was uh, and I might become again because I, uh, even though right now I think that you know i'm I'm with this person for as long as it uh, you know for maybe for many many decades, but yeah. maybe not, and whatever happened. I don't think that this is, um, I don't think being in a romantic relationship is central in one's life.
2: Right. I
1: think what's central in one's life is to have loving relationships, which is very different. Hmm. And nurturing, there is no point for me nurturing a romantic relationship if you don't have good and solid relationships with friends. Yeah. I'm not going to say about family because nobody chose, you know, somebody, some people have very weird families and it's, they have nothing to do with it. So, but you know, your heart family, your, the family you chose, whatever yeah. that family is, whether it's your blood or your, uh, you know, heart family. I think this is, do this first. Who cares about romantic uh, relationship? Because romantic relationship is a uh, one relationship that is going to ask you to, uh, amputate a lot of yourself mm. at the end of the day, and uh, before making this sacrifice, there's a lot to enjoy. First, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I think I think our society has made us obsessed. It's like money. Like you're not a full person until you find your other half. I think right. this is stupid bullshit. And uh, it's still, I mean I am. It's ironic that I'm in a relationship because really I'm not. Uh, pro relationships and uh, and I don't think that I think a lot of people are wasting their time thinking the other person is going to save them when they should be doing continuing education (laughs) you know full circle (laughs) do your continuing education first maybe
0: and uh, then you will find someone so I just had like one uh, final question for you um, and it's one that I ask all my guests um, at the end of the interviews what's your dream project if money and time wasn't an issue
1: now that's a good question uh what's my dream project i i do think that uh, i would really really love to work on a project that uh, evolves over time and by the, i mean right now the only thing i can see i would love to uh, be the creator of a show and uh of a, and direct it right. uh, in some capacities because you cannot direct everything but I think shows are something quite uh, unique uh, and, uh, and, and you know, series of books, but I know for sure that I will never write. And it's not a fantasy of mine to write a series of books, you know, when I think of Harry Potter right. and when I think of, uh, you know, From the brain of one human, (laughs) the the millions of people whose life has been changed, and the hundreds or thousands of works that have been created, and how many? I mean, it's just sick. Like, uh, so I would never expect to produce something um, as uh, powerful as uh, what J.K. Rowling did. But I would love to work on something where a character evolves over time and uh and i would like to do it in a collaborative way i would not uh, i'm not someone who can uh i would like to have a co-writer a co-creator of right. yeah. the show and uh this is this would be something that i would love working on something for several years and uh, seeing the evolution of this work i would love that
0: would it be something sort of sci-fi based is that something there's that sort of something that would have sort of appealed to you
1: i mean i love sci-fi so but I, I have not, it doesn't have to be. I, the no. only thing is that I don't think it would be fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ir- ironic because I just mentioned Harry Potter, but I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm more a sci-fi person than a fantasy producer, like story producer. I'm, I will never come up with a fantasy story. I will always come up with sci-fi. But, um, I, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is that it's a character's uh, very cliche, but so, so true. Like, the, you know, my favorite TV shows, uh, right now, I, I just bought Battlestar Galactica, which is a sci-fi show, yes, uh, in DVD to watch it again. But I love The Wire. The Wire had a mm. um, crucial impact on me. And The Wire is uh, like, I will never go to Baltimore ever in my life. <laughs> so, you know, to me, it's just like sci-fi. I mean, it's yeah. not, it has nothing to do with the uh, fact that it's in a spaceship or in a, na- in an American town where I will never go because there's no way I'm going to spend money to go to Baltimore. So, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter. It's the characters that uh, are important.
0: So there you have it. I had a great time chatting with Natalie. Please do like and subscribe to the show on SoundCloud and YouTube and drop a comment or two. And you can get in touch with me at the Salmoning01 on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Tom and I'll catch up with you next episode.